Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. My name is Panos and today we're going to be doing another Q&A. Very exciting. I love doing the Q&As because there's a little bit more direction for me to go off. And also, it's quite interesting to see different questions come in. Of course, we get a lot of usual questions and I just refer people back to episodes that we've already covered. If it's been a while since we've covered it, we're going to start now revising over some of those older topics. Because, well not older topics, but topics we've done before. Because in a year, two years, three years of doing what we're doing, we've grown and developed and changed our minds on a few things, or at least evolved it, in, in, and that's its natural progression. But of course, once we start putting timestamps and we record things, they are set in stone, so we need it for ourselves, for you, for the listeners, to keep the open mind. If you've listened to like episode five, and you're listening to today, the episode 160, whatever, of course, there are two different versions of myself, of Luke, or even the guests that we've had on. So... That's also interesting. But I don't think I've had a question specifically talking about foster dogs. So if you are, so Beck from Instagram has messaged me a very, very, very long question and or like quite a few paragraphs. So I've broken it down to a a few, a few topics to talk about today and to hopefully answer a question in the best that I can in this format. If you want to find her, it's Aspiring Dog Trainer or Canine Foster Pack, the two different names that are on the Instagram account. And it seems to be that Beck is, I'm going to assume, just started to um, foster dogs, maybe more recently, and wants to understand more about dog training, dog behavior, so that she can give these dogs a good transition in life so they can find their forever home. And if you're a foster carer, you're looking after dogs, they're not technically yours, you keep them and then you become that middle ground for the rescue organizations and, f- and for some shelters so that you can be that transition and to free up some space. If you listen to the last episodes talking about shelter dogs is that sometimes rescues and shelters become inundated and completely full. So we need these fosters. So Beck, I'm going to say this to you, trying to be a foster failure and a foster failure is where you acquire and keep the dog that you're fostering. Of, it happens a lot. The problem is from an industry perspective, it's that we lose another fosterer and a foster carer, sorry. So if you're planning on, hey, I'm doing this for six months, I'm doing this for 18 months, like you know your timeline of what you're doing, then maybe at the end of that you can acquire a dog for sure. Or you may acquire dogs in that process, but you're a very rare person and we need more of you around. So that's just a little little message to the foster carers. Please try to... Um, maintain what you're doing if you can and I know you'll fall in love with the dogs but that's one less dog that you can so a few things here what I would probably suggest and everyone's in a different situation if you're fostering dogs because you can't commit to having a dog and you get to have some dogs in your premises so there's no dogs around except for the dogs that you're fostering that's one version and another version will be you have one two three dogs maybe and that you foster a one or two dogs at a time Give them that transition move out. Now, there's pros and cons to both. But before I get into these, an- these um, or answering the questions here, I would suggest, number one, 
if you don't have any dogs in your house, then that makes it easy, of course, because you could just facilitate that one or two dogs that you're fostering at that time. You must have a setup ready to go before you acquire any dogs. Because remember, you may have a, have had a dog. Oh yeah, this is his space and this is what we do. But that's not for every dog. Every dog is going to be a little bit different, especially if they're a lot younger or they haven't had any rules or foundations or structure in their life. So, and if they don't know how to be, you know, house trained, don't know how to live in the city, there's so many different variables of what could happen. You want to make sure that you've got you've got a set routine and structure in your household ready to go prior to any dog coming so that the dog adapts to your situation. You're not trying to adapt too much to your dog's um, situation. And remember that you're setting them up for success so they understand how to learn, they understand how to spend time on their own to be a lot more house trained so that if you bring your dog into your premise, like inside your dwelling from time to time, you teach them how to be in the house. Don't give them, like obviously if they're a bit fearful and nervous and timid, give them a bit more freedom to try to build their confidence. If they, and usually is the case, they could either be really fearful or generally over the top and intense. And you need to teach them to have a bit of impulse control and time and place on how to do what, when to be calm, when to be relaxed. Inside the house, you relax, we play outside of the house in the backyard, etc. So you're that you have to see it as not only are you doing a good thing on the on the on the side of caring for a dog so that they can find a home. That's one noble thing. But the next, the other noble thing is, can I be a good transition transitional space? Because you may have that dog for three months, six months, three weeks, or three days. You don't know. Can you make the time worthwhile so that it's an easier transition to go to the new home, and they're going to end up staying there? So if you have a an environment where you already have one or multiple dogs in the home and you're fostering dogs on top of that, that could also be good. However, make sure that the dogs that you have are social and you know well-balanced and, and accepting of other dogs around. And even if they're not all the time and all the dogs are going to always feel like that. So do you have a place where you can put the, fo- the, the new dog in? Like in my house, there is a section of the yard and it's quite large where I can, fe- uh, it is fenced off. There's a gate there. I can put a dog back there and give my older dogs and my small dog more freedom where they don't have to be deal with another random dog. Like if I was, for example, to find a dog on the street and waiting for their owner to come this afternoon, I'd probably put him back there. He can do whatever he wants back there, but he can't just like bang on my door and jump on my dogs and chase my cat. So I've got a space for that. And I could even put maybe one of my other dogs back there and they can play and hang out and do stuff. So that would be ideal. If I was a foster dog, that's where it would be. And then of course you can spend time in my yard and in my house, but supervised time. As the weeks and months go on, you've made a good transition. Now your dogs get to all hang out together and that your existing dogs that are well-mannered, well-behaved, well, well-looked after, everything's going on for them, they will influence that new dog positively, usually in a way that it makes it easier for all the other activities that you do and just the general, how to generally live in a house. So there's, those are the two different ways to think about it. I'm not too sure about your situation, Beck. So um, that does also help like for example when I was looking after dogs I may as well have been fostering some of them because the time like there was some dogs that would be here for four weeks and sometimes you may only foster a dog for four weeks so that dog comes here the dogs adapt and assimilate themselves to this situation this environment the walks and the activities that we do and the dogs always were calmer um, going back home and this then tethers into your first question which is should we be training while fostering does it cause confusion to the new owners and I'd say, no, you definitely, I would definitely recommend doing training for the three reasons, mental stimulation, 
teaching some practical skills, sit down, come and bed are the, are the four foundational ones that if the dog knows the command and understands the behavior, then it'll be easier to be able to teach the new owner. This is the commands that we do. And of course, this is how we teach it. If you're aspiring to be a dog trainer, then I would suggest you participate in training so that you can teach these practical skills so that you teach the new owners how to do those things and, and the importance of it and the fun of it and everything else. And if the dog's already doing it, you've already learnt, the dog's learnt the behavior. They don't have to understand what how to lure the dog into a position, the timing of whatever you have to do. If you have the dog for a few weeks or a few months, you can have a semi-reliable trained behavior where you can just teach the people this is what you do if the dog doesn't do it whatever so you're kind of like a bit of a board and train situation where you're getting your skills up and you're getting your skills up in terms of teaching the new owners so that's another skill set and then and then we have to try to ensure that they continue that so that dog is suitable for them and they all have a good time and that dog literally has a new forever home rather than it not working out and either dog comes back to you or back to rescue or worse so Definitely doing training for the mental stimulation, the practical skill set, but also you want to build on that relationship building. So for sure, teaching the commands is mental stimulation and enriching bonding time with you and the dog, along with all the other obvious things. So definitely do it. And even if the new people aren't going to do any of it, it doesn't matter. You need to fulfill that dog while he's under your care. And why not teach basic commands? Because you may have him for the next three months. So you want him to be able to sit, stay down, stay recall, go to his bed, just so you can communicate with the dog. And that should just be a normal thing that you, that like a normal progression of what you would do with the dog. So that's what I do there. One of the dogs here is a three-year-old boxer. And due to being a brassophallic breed, I think I'm getting better at saying that word, she asked, do we not put him on a martingale or a slip lead because of that. And in, and depending on the dog, depends on how squishy face they are, depends on how they breathe, depends on their behavior, depends on your skill set and what collars and leads you are actually using because all of them, they all may be a slip lead, they may all be a martingale, but do they operate properly so that it does release? Where a lot of the martingales, for example, that I'm seeing around, they, they have triangle links rather than the little D link. So when the martingale chain goes on it doesn't really release properly when we let go or it hardly goes on it's clinky it's clanky where like for example the rogues martingale that i use they're, they're seamless pressure goes on pressure comes off and it's very very clear to the dog or the slip leads that i use as soon as you let go of the pressure the leash pressure turns off immediately where a lot of them you turn it off and which way do you put it on so there's all that stuff that's most important but in conversation over a couple of days with beck i i'd said look I typically use a martingale collar and I've used slip leads for, for boxes and for French as well, just depending on the dog, depending on how strong they are, depending on their their past experience of how, how they've had that relationship with that tool on because a lot of dogs will still pull on into it even if they have, you know, a pea-size hole for a soft palate to breathe through. So having that front clip harness on was making the dog pull heaps and it was riding up and putting pressure on the dog's neck anyway. She said that she started using the martingale collar in the way that I had recommended and she said it's been getting better. So it's really hard to say without me seeing the dog and seeing you and seeing your tools and stuff. So just be mindful of that if you're listening here. But as a general rule, I still use it because I haven't had any issues. I don't have dogs 
gagging and choking and passing out and vomiting on the end of the lead. It just doesn't happen when I'm using utilizing the lead, especially with like Frenchies and Boxes and other Bracky dogs. So if you don't know what Brassophallic is, then just look look it up. But it's basically the dogs that have the squishy face, Pugs, Frenchies, and Boxes are the three common types. So a lot of people think if we put excessive pressure on the dog's neck, which is true, then they have already have a s- small hole to breathe through because everything's so squished up and excessive pressure can make it harder for them to breathe, especially when it's hot. It's a bad idea to be putting that sort of pressure. But the point of walking with the leash is that we have a leash that's loose so the dog doesn't experience that pressure and only momentary pressure on. And of course, if some dogs are over the top, then I have had to use different tools. So that's more of a specific answer that's hard to give you something very clear here but that's my opinion on that she also asked about the 202020 rule when we're walking how do we do that with a reactive dog if it's hard for her to be able to get to the park how can she give the dog free time etc um, i've answered that already and i've given her the episode to that so just look that up i think it's a 202020 walking with a reactive dog if you look that up in our podcast series check it out because i answer all of that there but basically in in a short it's that Drive to a park that's, you know, that's close by and it only takes you maybe 10 minutes to get there. So 10 minute walk to the park, 10 minute free time on the long lead if it's safe and there's like not much going on and then 10 minutes walk back or, you know, as I think I recommended in in the episode, you're going to use your walking as your training and throughout that time you may sacrifice a bit of long lead time for the structure. So I answered it there. I'm not going to answer it again here. So hope that does cover that. And if there's, if, if it doesn't, then you know that you can message me back, Beck. What type of long lead should you get one from eBay? For me, I don't ever waste my time buying anything that's dodgy, that's got to do with like safety. So leads, collars, and, um, well, leads and collars in particular, I don't want anything to break and snap where a dog can run free. So the long leads that I use and sell, I sell the ones that the death grip ones from Einswick. So we've had Jason on the podcast as well. He hand makes them with brass buckles. Those things aren't going to snap under really any pressure. I've got different sizes for little tiny dogs as well as large dogs because over the years I've put long leads and attached them to poles and pulled as hard as I can and watch them snap and break in all the different spots where the stitches are, where the actual clip is, they, they break. A lot of the times they, a lot of the leads, the, the buckle, sorry, rust from the inside out so that also is a bad thing, especially if you're taking it to the beach, you've got to thoroughly wash them. Where with the brass, I'm pretty sure brass doesn't rust or doesn't rust as quickly or anything, but my long leads have been 11 years old and I'm still using them and I got them from um, K9 Pro, I think, back in the day. So basically look for, you can ask me, we can send one out to you, you can check out Ironswick and there's a whole bunch of other professional dog training equipment websites where the quality especially for large breeds, are, are, is the most important. You may pay 50 bucks, but 50 bucks will last 11 years if you look after it compared to the cheap dodgy ones. If you have a real small dog, you may be able to get a cheaper long lead. But again, you don't know what's going to happen if, if it fails under you. That's, it's, it's just like getting real bad tires for your car. It's the only thing that's keeping your car on the road together is your tires. If they're bold or they're not good quality, then that's... um a very big safety hazard, right? So that's why when people try to sell you tires, get good tires because it's the only thing that keeps you, just like the leash, it's the only thing that's keeping your dog from running away. So that's that. And the last 
question that I'll answer for Beck here is what to do with leaving them at home for sleeping in daytime, tethering and crate training, etc. Well, as I said right from the beginning, you should have already a setup ready to go because you're going to assume that you may have this dog for a week and another one comes in in a week and five days. So there should already be a setup. So for me, again, don't know what your yard looks like. If you have only one dog, then you have a secure yard dog can't get out of and can't get through the gate, can't get under the gate, can't get over the gates. And also, you know, does he bark? Is he an excessive barker? I think there's a bit of separation distress here. So, you know, speaking with neighbors, keeping up with that, that's going to be a bit of a, a hurdle for you as well, of course. And then do you have like an indoor section where you can keep the dog? How much are you willing for a dog to destroy that space? These are also other things. If your yard is nice, then maybe separate your yard a little bit, give yourself a shaded area, protect the dog from the elements, be adequate enough that he can still play and move around and do stuff. And then you bring him out to your yard over time. So do you have a setup like that? If you have two dogs, can you separate them? So ideally, it would be nice if you can start crate training the dogs and specifics about crate training we probably won't get into, but start to crate train. At nighttime, you sleep in your crate. During the day, you hang outside. Or you may hang outside during the day, I mean, during the nighttime, and then during the, sorry, at nighttime, you're spending time outside. And then during the day, you can spend intermittent times in the crate, maybe when I'm working and stuff. Because the dog may be more bark, more of a barker during the day, but at nighttime. So nighttime, he's calm to be outside, but during the day, he's barking at things that he sees. So maybe you can intermittently crate train until eventually the dog learns that this is the routine that you use her in. And then you could work slowly towards a dog that can learn to be outside on his own. She asks about tethering inside. And she goes, a dog keeps chewing the leash. I advise that you get those like cable leads that's wrapped in like that rubbery plastic stuff. And dog can't chew through that. And, but tethering should only be like a, it should definitely be done. But I wouldn't use it as like a long-term thing. Like I'm going to bed now, there's your tether. Because dogs can wrap themselves up, injure themselves. Like anything could happen. If you're going to do that, I'd rather just crate train. And have a strong crate. If you're fostering dogs, getting large breeds, don't know anything about the dogs, not like it's your dog and that you get one bit of equipment and an item for that dog. You don't know what sort of dogs you're going to get. So I'll just go the strongest crate that you can afford and that's practical for your living. And then make sure that dogs can't get out of it and we start crate training from the beginning. Or if you have like a kennel or an outdoor run, somewhere where you can secure the dog and that making sure that, you know, of course, Dealing with the barking and everything else, there are episodes on the po- on the podcast talking about persistent barking and what should we do about that. And that's probably an episode that needs to be recovered as well, just to kind of refresh and see where we're at, to give any new updates on what you can do to manage up. But it's always been pretty pretty specifically, pretty specific, and always pretty much the same. So set your dog up for success. Make sure that the dog that's going to be staying with you is staying with you for, you know, six months or six days, you don't know. So long-term setups. Don't half-ass it because you're going to learn to do this stuff anyway. And throughout all that trial and error, just make sure you're doing everything right from the beginning properly. Make sure you have sturdy stuff, sturdy equipment, sturdy gates, sturdy fences. Make sure that no one can get out. When when I knew we were going to look after dogs, that could have been, we've literally had Great Danes to Chihuahuas staying in our backyard. I make sure that nothing can get out of our yard. I've double gate our driveway, which is like an airlock, which means two gates need to be left open for dogs to run out. And when we first moved in, there was no gates, there was no fences, there was no nothing. I've, I've put all of that stuff in. So now that if I found a dog on the street and I whacked him in my backyard, if he's going in the dog yard, he has three gates to get past to get out of a house. And my, gate, my house doesn't look like Fence City, by the way. It all looks very normal and nice. 
but those setups are there for security and for safety of the dogs. So there's um that's for you, Beck. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. There's quite a we've gone different different routes, different ways. Hopefully, I've answered all of your questions. If there's anything else, um, please let me know. And if anyone else is fostering dogs and would like to share their um, their experience and some advice, you're more than welcome to come onto the show and we can have a chat. Otherwise, you can send me some some information. I'm happy to, to share that as well because I haven't actually fostered dogs, even though I have helped a lot of a lot of clients that are foster carers. So it's basically you're basically doing dog training and caring all at the same time. And I think if you can treat it that way, the dogs are going to move, be moved on in a much better and more optimal situation where they're going to actually stay in that place. And just remember, don't be a foster failure. Make sure that those dogs get those new homes and that you can still be providing a service to the community because it's very valuable. Well, thank you for listening to another episode. Much love to you all. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you on the next show. See you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at NP underscore dog underscore training, my website, npdogtraining.com, or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, dot com, dot A-U. I'm also on Instagram at kizuna canine training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.